Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corners Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. Uh, we're kicking off this morning with a live mailbag podcast over on Locker Room App, as always. Uh, thank you to the great people over on Locker Room. I love getting to do this. It's pretty cool. I think it's the second one I'm doing. I had to cancel last week. Um, my dog was being a uh, – I mean, to people listening to the pod, you know my dog is, is freaking nuts. So uh, he is luckily sleeping for right now. Um, it's probably going to go half hour or something like that. Um, I had some great mailbag questions come in for the Indy Cornrows mailbag pod. So I'm just going to get started with those. First things first, though, uh, just released right now. Um, it hasn't been released yet, but it's been announced that the schedule uh, for the second half of the season is coming out at 3 p.m. today. So obviously we'll have uh, some uh, more breaking pod on that later, probably after the Golden State game. Tom and I will come on and talk about that. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's dig in and uh, and get started. So yeah, first question comes from my guy Daniel Ollinger um, over from Liberty Ballers. Also does some great work at inside the NU, I believe. Uh, if you could make a one-for-one one player swap between the Sixers and the Pacers with the goal of the move being mutually beneficial for both teams, which players are getting moved and why? Really like this question because, A, it's never going to happen, but just a fun hypothetical. Um, I think what you would automatically look at is moving Aaron Holiday would probably be the first thing that comes to my mind. The Pacers have a ton a ton of combo guards. I always talk about this. A lot of combo guards and small wings. Uh the Sixers would be a more advantageous situation for Aaron because he'd actually get to do some stuff on ball there. Um, he's gotten more reps and ability to do that in uh, in Indiana lately, but I think Philly could have more of a open spot for him um, just in terms of that rotation. I, I don't know if he'd even get – I mean, I'd probably play Tyrese Maxey over him, to be completely honest. But um, just if you're looking at this year, um, maybe you do that and you get Thibel over to the Pacers because I think – Matisse Thibel would have a much bigger role with the Pacers. The team would definitely be able to use him. They need guys who can defend the wings. Um, I actually, I don't think he would start, but he would be probably top seven minutes on that team. Um, that's just right off the top of my head. I didn't take notes for this one, um, but I do think that would ultimately be what I look at in terms of if the Pacers were going to uh, to do like if there is some kind of one on one move, that that would make a lot of sense to me. Um, I guess another one, I mean, if you're just looking, if you're trying to look for something bigger, um, I don't know if you could even do a one-for-one swap that would be mutually beneficial for both teams that's bigger than that, to be completely honest. Um, I mean, I think every player involved, like, I mean, I, I guess you could look at TJ Warren, Karis LeVert, too. Um, they would both make sense on the Sixers, but they make more sense on the Pacers than anybody who would, they would get back. I mean, you're not trading Ben Simmons one up for – TJ Warren or um, Karis LeVert, you're not trading. You're obviously not trading Joel Embiid. Um, and, I mean, yeah, if you trade Domas or Miles Turner, how does that make any more sense for the Sixers? So um, I think, yeah, my final answer would be if you swap like Aaron Holiday and Matisse Thibel, I think there would be benefits to both teams. I don't even know if the Sixers, Sixers would do that. I personally wouldn't if I'm Daryl Morey, but that's the closest you can get to a one-on-one swap that makes like any kind of sense in that regard. Um, so another question kind of along the same line comes from Steve McCaffrey. Uh, thanks for your question, man. Lakers are in real need of a defensive center. Do you think Miles for Kuzma plus Harrell plus Horton Tucker would be a realistic win-win for both teams given needs and timelines? Um, so I have a couple of reactions to this. Number one, I don't really think the Lakers need a defensive center. I mean, um, they have Marcus All, who, I, I mean, he's not going to play more than 15 or 20 minutes a game, or at least he shouldn't. He's at the stage of his career where, I mean, he was borderline retiring. He's still been solid for the Lakers, especially defensively. Um, I mean, I guess I'd say they need more of a rim runner than than a defensive center, or they just need somebody who's bigger than Montrezl Harrell. Um, Like, but ultimately, I mean, I think we're like we're at the point where we know their closing lineup's going to end up with Anthony Davis at the five, like a lot of last year. Um, So I'm not super worried. If I'm looking at the Lakers' perspective, I'm not really super worried about getting a defensive center. Um, But just to answer your question, 
do I think that makes sense for the Pacers? Um, I mean, I guess Miles on the Lakers would be fantastic for them. Miles and Anthony Davis would be like probably the greatest defensive tandem in the front court we've seen in, in quite some time. Um, maybe that's a little bit, uh, I'm trying to think, yeah, it would probably be right around there. They're both top five in defensive player of the year right now, probably. Um, It'd be very difficult to drive inside on that duo. Their health defense would be fantastic. Um, that actually, like, I mean, just thinking about it for the Lakers, I would love for that to happen just so I could see Miles and AD play together. Um, but in terms of looking for the Pacers, I don't really think it's that much of a win-win for them. Uh, I think Miles has more value than any of those three guys. And, again, you're pairing all of them. But, I mean, what does Montrezl Harrell do for this team? He's nice coming off the bench. He provides you, like, a good punch. but then. Goga has no spot in the rotation. I personally, I mean, just where I'm at with the Pacers, I would rather see them try and get Goga 15 minutes a game than trade for Montrez Harrell. Um, that would just be a waste of a first round pick if you're not going to play Goga. And I've already talked about the issues I've had with that so far this year, even though it's been a little bit better lately. Um, Kyle Kuzma has been a lot better lately. I think way better than people are giving him credit for. I mean, his box score numbers aren't anything crazy. I mean, 12 points, six rebounds right now on decent efficiency, shooting well-ish from three, like right around the average on a uh, high volume. Uh, is not shooting well from the free throw line this year, which is kind of, I don't want to say concerning because he's been a solid free throw shooter throughout his career. But I mean, I was just talking about this yesterday. Uh, his defense has been fantastic. He's become a, a legit plus defender after being a pretty weak defender to start his career. Um, has really started to find his role and figure out what he needs to do to be a productive player on this team. Um, because, I mean, like, uh, you know, I'm going to have a longer discussion about this because I can. Um, Kyle Kuzma is somebody who I have always been not frustrated with as a player, but I get frustrated with the discourse. Um, because you see Kyle Kuzma when he first comes in, uh, I want to say it's Kobe's last year. Or no, it was like just after Kobe's last year that he comes in. And he averages, yeah, 16 and 6. Um, his second year, he puts up almost 20 points a game, 19, 19 points, 6 rebounds. Does not shoot super well from the floor. He's not, like, the most efficient guy his first two years. He's, like, right around league, league average through shooting. And even right now, he's below league average through shooting, but I still think he's been um, pretty effective on both sides. But I think you look at – Kyle Kuzma's a really great example to me, and we saw this a little bit with Miles Turner, too. Um, they have a great first – first and second year, uh, without high expectations. Like Kyle, Kyle Kuzma came in 27th pick, which, you know, you can say whatever you want about him being drafted that low. But also important to know, I mean, he's older than Miles Turner right now by like a year, even though he's played less time in the NBA. It's two seasons less. Um, so you get guys, they come in on teams that aren't great because, frankly, the teams Miles were on to start, was on to start, were not great. Um, PG's. He missed, I mean, the first year when PG missed most of the year, and then PG's last year with Miles' first two years. Um, and Miles really performed a lot better than I think most people expected, especially offensively. I think Miles averaged like 15 points per game in his second year. Um, and so that really heightens expectations. Like, I remember um, getting a little bit frustrated when, you know, I think Larry Bird put way too much onus on Miles after his second year. Uh, and during that second year with what he did and, and the way that he got hyped up after Paul left, um, I think there was this real expectation that Miles was going to like take over and be a franchise cornerstone. And not to say that he hasn't been like a quality franchise level player, like he's really good. Um, but there's a difference between being Paul George and being Miles Turner. And, you know, Miles is not a guy who's going to single handedly raise a franchise on his own. I think it just comes down to, especially with Kuzma too, because I mean there was that same expectation. Like LeBron came to LA, and everybody's like, "Oh, well, um, you know, Kuzma's just going to be even even like that much better." Kuzma's the third star, and really, you have to look at it and zero in and realize, hey, you know, not everybody is that kind of player. You have to understand the context and really look at um, how guys are playing, how they play, um, you know, what they're doing, and uh, it's just important to rem remember that, like. You know, a guy who – what they're doing on a 30-win team is not going to be the same on a 50- or 60-win team. Um, so just keep that in mind. You know, that's that's how I felt about Kuzma. But to fully answer the question, um, lastly on Taylor Horton Tucker, he's been really impressive this year. I've liked some of his flashes. Still one of the youngest guys in the NBA. Um, he does a lot of really great stuff getting to the rim. I like him as a defender. The shot hasn't fallen well this year. 
Um, but I think just from what I've seen, he's going to be a good shooter in the NBA. He's shooting well from the free throw line. Uh, he shot well at Iowa State. Um, and I love that Frank Vogel is giving him big minutes uh, on a team that kind of uh, – it's they, like they, they have decent depth on the team. It's not like they – like I'm, the point being, you could honestly find ways to not give him minutes if, you, uh, if you're Frank Vogel. So I like that he's been doing that. Um, it's been nice to see. But I think to ultimately answer the question, uh, I don't really think it's a win for the Pacers to to make that kind of move. I think you could – it would be better to if you're trading Miles to get a um, a similar caliber player but just at a different position. Um, so you'll probably take a slight downgrade in talent, but the money will make sense. And there's – like you get the upgrade just by having uh, – more ability to have the versatility and flexibility on your roster from, from not having to play two centers at the same time. I ultimately am in the camp right now, though. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think I would actively be looking at moving on from one of Sabonis or Turner, but I don't, I don't know who you can definitely say it would be. Um, and you can say that's a little bit unfair. I mean, the team's been, we haven't seen the team at full strength. Um, but I still think that I've seen enough this year to say, okay, I don't really – unless they start playing pretty pretty differently, which I'm interested to see what they do tonight against Golden State after a week off and hopefully some time to change things in practice. Um, I'm just not extremely confident in uh, in what Miles and Domas can do together in the playoffs, and that's not on them. I just think contextually and in, in the situation they're going to be in, you're asking a lot out of those two guys defensively in a way that I, I don't know they can fulfill. Um, I think that they've shown they can make it work a little bit better offensively. Um, and they, they have so far this year, but um, I do have a lot of questions on what that, that looks like defensively in the playoffs. Um, but we'll see on that. I don't, I, I, I think my last thing I would say, I don't think we'll see a trade this year for either of the centers, unless something like crazy pops off. Um, I've, just given how this team is, they, they make moves a lot more than I think people realize, but they're not going to make two massive moves like that in the same year. They're, uh, that just doesn't seem like something that the front office would do um, based on my read. Uh, so on to next question from at not DB Cooper. Really makes me think you are DB Cooper by putting that. I, I actually really enjoy that handle. Um if you've never read the story of D.B. Cooper, you should go look it up. I did a project on it in high school. It was really interesting. Um, so Dallas might trade Chris Asporzingis. Do you think the Pacers could slash should be involved in such a trade if it happens, not for Porzingis specifically, but to other players involved, like what happened in the Harden trade? I like this question. Um, first of all, if the Pacers had the chance to get Chris Asporzingis, I don't really see why they would do it. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, Chris Porzingis is really good, um, but he has not looked great recently. Um, he's coming back a little bit. I mean, part of that's he's coming off of a major injury, so it makes sense. But uh, again, like we was like we were just mentioning, uh, I mean, presumably, like who are you swapping in that? You know, um, exactly. Yeah, Brian Brian's own. There's no way it doesn't make any sense. I personally like. I guess I get too from a Dallas perspective why they're looking to trade KP. I've been pretty unimpressed with him this year, but again, injuries, so it's hard to look. Uh, and it, it's important to remember too, like seven months ago, KP looked like he was taking the next step. Um, you know, it, at the beginning of the bubble, towards the end of the, right before the hiatus, I mean, when uh, there was like a brief stretch when Luca was missing a couple games and KP was putting up like 25 and 10, was just gunning from three. Um, and there was a legit chance too. Uh, I mean, he wasn't going to win defensive player of the year, be all defense last year, but he was a huge part of Dallas not being terrible on defense down the stretch. Uh, when he's engaged and locked in and fully healthy, he's a really, really quality defender. Um, so I, uh, yeah, but ultimately, as Brian's seeing the comments too, like I, I don't, I don't really think KP's an upgrade over Miles. Or I mean, I guess you could make an argument for Miles. It just depends. But I, Miles is obviously better defensively. KP's probably better offensively, um, but he's not better than Domas, and the pairing just doesn't make that much sense, anyways. Um, so no, I don't think that would happen. But I do like bringing up the part of uh, trading for, for like being involved in the trade 
in terms of if other players are involved, like making that work with the Pacers. I like that. Um, I think what really good organizations do is they find ways to benefit themselves um, in trades that aren't necessarily any or transactions that aren't necessarily centered around them. Like uh, one of my favorite things that happened last year, uh, the Wizards got involved in a couple of trades out of nowhere. Like Tommy Shepard, I've really liked him as a GM. Um, like just small things where you get a second round pick by taking on a bad salary for, for two years, even though you're not a good team. That's not obviously what the Pacers are in a position to do. Um, but I think just to your point, DV, like finding ways to get as much value out of anything as possible is huge. So, I mean, I guess if there is an opportunity again, like I mentioned, I don't think the Pacers are going to be involved in a significant transaction the rest of the year, unless it's like, um, signing a buyout guy or signing like somebody like Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, not to put that into the ether, although I do think he would help the team. Um, but yes, if, uh, if that were a possibility, I don't know how the Pacers would get involved with that, but, um, if there is a way to get some value out of something that's not directly including you, then yeah, go for it. Um, so second part of DB's question Keelan Martin's contract is partially guaranteed until the 24th, which is today. Do you think the team will cut him? Should they cut him? If he is cut, which player or position should the Pacers try to sign or trade for? Um, so I've been a little bit frustrated with how things have gone with Keelan Martin this season. Um, again, you know, we're, we're not inside. We don't get to see everything going on this year. Um, but I felt like Keelan Martin really hasn't gotten a whole lot of run or opportunity. And also, uh, Tony East wrote a really great piece on Keelan Martin, feature on him last week that you should go read if you haven't already. Um, but I think Keelan could do a lot of stuff for the team. Uh, his offense was not great in the games that he has played, but he just hasn't played that much. I think he could do some things defensively that would be nice for the team. Uh, I don't see why he doesn't get more of an opportunity. You know, I, I get that the team is pretty focused on winning right now. Um, but I think, you know, there have been opportunities to throw him in for a, a six or eight minute run or not, not like back to back, but you get what I'm saying? Like he, you could get him six to eight minutes in a night or something, in a during a competitive game. And I don't think it would hurt you. Or even if it does hurt you, like it's worth trying to see what you can get out of Keelan Martin. Um, I, I think if the team does cut him, it'll have been uh, not like it's a failure or anything, but, It'll just been kind of an awkward tenure. He never really got a shot. He looked really good in preseason. Um, I really liked Keelan in preseason. I, I was, uh, I mean, his his shot wasn't falling um, super well, but I mean, he was doing stuff. He can drive. He can attack closeouts, um, and more importantly, it's just defensively. He gives you somebody who's bigger than you know six two or six three that can defend bigger guys. Um, and from Zach Pearson, would you rather play him overhead? No, uh, definitely not. I think Edmund Sumner should – like, I've, I've said this repeatedly. Like, I think Edmund Sumner should be playing uh, 10 to 15 minutes every night right now. Um, for whatever reason, the coaching staff disagrees with me. Um, and I do think, though, tonight, I mean, if he doesn't play against Golden State, I have no idea what to even think of that. He played – I believe 32 minutes last time against Golden State was a big reason for why the team won that game. Uh, so, but yes, ultimately to answer the question, I think, I don't know if they'll cut him. I mean, I think if they do, um, it's just as a cap saving move. Um, I don't think that the Pacers will try and, I mean, maybe they'll sign somebody, but I, I honestly think if they wanted to sign somebody, they already would have because they could have cut Keelan already. Um, because his contract was partially guaranteed, as you mentioned. Um, I mean, I will always go to bat. Rondé Hollis Jefferson should be on an, on an NBA roster right now. Um, I, I mean, he's he would be he was a top eight rotation player in Toronto last year. He was really good, or top eight or top nine. But he was fantastic there. He doesn't shoot, but he can do he can handle the ball a little bit. He's a solid passer, um, and he defends pretty much. Uh, two through four, and then you can defend some ones and fives. Um, I really like him just as a really versatile defender. And that's why it's also confusing me too. Like, uh, not to say that the Pacers should sign him, but I mean, like, um, you saw what you could do defensively in the Raptors scheme last year. I, I'm just not really sure what um, organizations know that that we in the media don't because 
he was really, really good. And on a, a team that almost made the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, playing big minutes for them. So that would be my suggestion. I mean, there's there really just aren't a lot of guys on the bio market or uh, or that will be on the bio market, I think, uh, or guys that are available right now that I think the Pacers will sign or could sign. Um, but we'll see on that. Uh, but ultimately, I don't I don't know. I don't think they're going to cut Keelan just because they really haven't given him a lot of an opportunity. Um, but they could. I mean, I'm 50-50 on it uh, because I think his deal, if they, if they allow it to go through today, I want to say it's guaranteed the rest of the year. And then um, he has another year on his deal, I believe. Uh, hold on, I'm pulling up his deal right now. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I still just think that there's enough there that they should give him an opportunity, but I would kind of get it if they don't. It's not like he's old. I mean, he's 25. Um, I mean, he's played 44 minutes, like just below, which is not a lot, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, I don't know. And I, I liked some of the stuff he did in, in Minnesota last year. Again, the shot didn't fall super well, but he was a really good three-point shooter throughout his time at Butler. I mean, he shot 35%, but if you remove his first freshman year, um, I mean, his one freshman year, what I'm talking about, um, he shot like above league average from three on pretty high volume. Um, so I don't know. I think there's an opportunity, but I would get it if they cut him. Um, on to the next question from Miles Turner for DPOY at JLH0215. Um should the Pacers hire a defensive coordinator to replace Bill Bano? Um, I, I mean, I, I think they definitely should hire somebody to replace Bill Bano. Uh, I don't know about a defensive coordinator per se. Like, um, I think that the way the team works right now, I, I mean, Bill Bano wasn't the defensive coordinator. I don't really, um, like, I, I think they, they play – I don't, I don't really know how to put it. Um, I think there are great coaches who they could get, but I, I don't know who, like, I think they'll personally just hire up from, maybe they'll hire somebody up from Fort Wayne or promote somebody from the back of the bench. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what they're going to, I'm not, I'll be completely honest. I'm not the, uh, the greatest at, um, at understanding some of the coaching stuff or how, you know, coaching staffs and stuff work. Um, well, not that I don't understand how they work, but like the internal hiring and everything, especially too with everything that just happened with uh, um, with Ryan Saunders and, and Chris Finch heading to to Minnesota, I clearly have no idea how that stuff works because that was like, I mean, that was one of the most jarring things I've ever seen. I remember getting that notification. I was like, "What on earth is happening here?" Um, it was very confusing to see that happen. Uh, honestly, kind of shady too. Uh, I think David Vanderpool kind of got shafted to be completely honest. And that's somebody, I mean, if, if the Pacers can get David Vanderpool, he's a great assistant. Um, he's extremely well-liked by players. I think he would fit in. Um, and I'm not for sure if he's going to be in Minnesota the rest of the year. That's just uh, my guess. Um, it's pretty weird to bring in a head coach in the middle of the season uh, who, you know, obviously he did not bring in all of the assistants who were there. They were all Ryan Saunders guys. Um, so now it's just Chris Finch there with a coaching staff that's not his. Um, so I'm really interested to see what on earth happens with their uh, um, with with their coaching staff. Um, so we could see some of those guys get let go. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you, Brian. Uh, Sam Cassell and Chauncey Billups deserve an opportunity for an interview, and more importantly, too, like I think they kind of. Like, I don't want to say that they screwed over Ryan Saunders, but in a way, I think the Timberwolves screwed over Ryan Saunders. Um, part of it is he should not have gotten the head coaching job, frankly. Um, you know, in talking to people around the Wolves uh, the last couple of weeks, um, you know, there was no real, like, just be honest with yourself. Ryan Saunders does not get that job if he's not Flip Saunders' son. Um, so that on its own is a bad sign. You know, nepotism is not good. Nepotism has been an issue uh, everywhere in every way for all of time, pretty much. Um, but, yeah, exactly like you're mentioning, Brian. Like, uh, it's very hard to justify making that. Like, I, I, I mean, Gerson Rosas worked with Chris Finch 
in the G League. He worked with him in Houston um, and brought up that he was going off the 2019 hiring process. But again, it's like it's still in the middle of the season. Cat and D'Lo have not been healthy at the same time. Their roster sucks, just to be completely honest. Like they're extremely young. They're not built to win now whatsoever. Um, so it's all fine and dandy to put blame on Ryan Saunders. I think you could argue there have been things that have been okay out of Minnesota this year that I've liked. Um, but it's hard to like the justification for firing Ryan Saunders then was uh, the timing was, was awful and I didn't understand it. Um, and not a lot of blame has been put on Gerson Rosas. And I think more of it should like the Wancho Hernan Gomez signing was terrible it has not worked out. He's like barely even in the rotation now, and he shouldn't be. He's not good, just to be completely honest. Um, he gets absolutely torched on defense. Offensively, if he's not hitting threes, he really can't do anything else. Um, and, I mean, Wancho seems like a really nice guy. I, I wish things would work out for him. They haven't. Um, but ultimately, you have to look at Rosas and say – and th- this speaks to larger things, like not just looking at Gerson Rosas, but, like, I mean, you can talk about any organization. I know it's not strictly Pacers-related, but – if you're making like you can, things can come down to coaching all you want. But if, if you don't have a good roster, there's just so much you can do with it. Um, so I, I do think, I mean, this is probably Gerson Rosales's one hire that he's going to get. So I thought it was kind of surprising that he made it this early. I think he could have waited to fire Ryan Saunders till the end of the year, um, or at least seen how things go past the All Star break. Um, but here we are. So. Um, so yeah, again, I, I, I keep going on tangents, but that's why I like doing mailbag pods. Cause I have a lot of thoughts, um, Stokes things for me. I think you look at, um, you look at the potential, maybe if David Vanderpool could be with the Pacers as an assistant, I would be all for that. Um, so to answer another question, uh, from, from again, from at JOH0215, any possibility of adding Thad Young to this roster? No. The answer is no. Uh, it's almost impossible to add Thad to the roster monetarily um, without losing, you know, one or two – more than one significant player from the roster. Um, I guess oh, – okay, well, I'll pull it up right now just to explain it. Like, first of all, Thad – like, because the second part of the question is would Thad help the Pacers? And the answer is unequivocally Yes. Uh, Thad is a tremendous player. He would be in like my top three for six man of the year right now. I just wrote, um, a kind of long form piece on his career and, um, what he's doing with the bulls right now and what's been special about it because he's in large part, like been their point guard, which is kind of crazy to say, um, Thad has had a tremendous year. He's still really great defensively. He's a good connector on offense. I think he would be fantastic for the Pacers. Obviously, we saw what he did here for three years. Um, but just to put it into – so I'm, I'm bringing up Trade NBA right now. But to put it into perspective, like, it's just very difficult to make that work money-wise. And also, I don't think that the Bulls should be open to trading Thad Young right now unless it nets them a significant asset or something. Like, he's legitimately been the second-best player on the Bulls this year, and they would probably – be down um shit four or five wins without Thad. like they i don't think they would be in the playoff race without Thad young um and, and i know that seems like a stretch but that's just complete honesty like he's been huge for them defensively and offensively so just to put it into perspective so Thad makes 13 and a half million dollars um you can only take back like um I mean, you can only take in like a certain, I don't have the exact number memorized, so sorry about it. Um, but like, so for example, all right, if the patients are trading for Thad, uh, you either have to trade Jeremy Lamb and somebody, or you trade Doug McDermott and one or two guys. And that's how you make the money work. Like that is not <laughs> like, that would be great. But at the same time, I think you lose a lot. By, so like, for instance, if you're trying to make that work and you don't want to trade Jeremy and you're trading Doug McDermott and Justin holiday, um, that's, a, I mean, that is probably, I would argue Thad is, that's definitely better than Doug. I think Thad does more than Doug, but Doug is really important to the team and what he does um, as a floor spacer and the two man game he has with Domas. So I think that's really tough to look at and say, okay, well, we're going to add Thad who is not shooting threes this year. 
And I think that's a little overrated. Like you can make things work, but again, if you're playing Miles and Domas together, like Thad would do a ton as a guy who can come off the bench, play small ball five, really flexes a floor. He would be fantastic next to Miles or Domas, especially Miles um, as a backline defender. His ability to help, like he's so good. Um, but you would lose a lot just in trading away Doug, and especially too in Justin. I mean, I don't, I don't think this te- this team would be so much worse without Justin Holiday. Um, I mentioned this last week. I think Justin Holiday he won't get it because he's largely a bench player. Um, I mean, he started a lot of the season now, but he is pretty much a bench player. When when the team is healthy, he will be a bench player. Um, he's somebody who I think should get all defense consideration. He's not going to, um, but he should. He's really good, and he's been so good offensively as well. So to answer that, monetarily, really difficult to make work. I would actually maybe even think about trading Jeremy Lamb for that if you could do it straight up but I don't get why the Bulls would do that they're both uh, like they have the same length on their deals Thad fits more of a need than Jeremy does for them um like even yeah I'll just do the trade right now like so you can do that monetarily you could trade Thad for Jeremy straight up I still don't like Thad Young is a better player than Jeremy Lamb just to be completely honest um that's not a slight on Jeremy Jeremy's defense just been really bad this year um but I also think Jeremy does a little bit more for the Pacers than, than Thad does. Like they need Jeremy to be that guy who can come in off the, off the bench and just kind of get a bucket at will. Like that's been really important for them. Um, like in actually playing uh, in his role coming off the bench, he's looked really good for them offensively. Again, the defense is a problem, um, but we don't, we will not talk about Jeremy Lamb's defense because it gets me, uh, it gets me frustrated. So if you haven't seen so I, I clip his closeouts every once in a while because I think he might be the worst closeout defender in the NBA. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. But to to fully answer your question, Thad would be tremendous on this team. But for what you have to give up to get him, I just don't know if it would be worth it. Um, like in, in looking at the sum of its parts, you know. And I think the whole long-term vision is having Jeremy be that first guy off the bench and really able to – uh, change the course of games that way. Um, I think it's really important for the team that he's able to do that. And he's been re- I mean, you, you can't discount how important he's been offensively. Like he's, uh, I think he's just below, he's just below Joe Harris, unless Joe Harris had an off night last night. But I was looking at the numbers yesterday. Jeremy Lamb is the leading three-point shooter in the NBA um, below Joe Harris, which is like crazy to me to say. He shot above league average from three once in his career. Um, he's come back and looked just tremendous as a shooter this year. He's getting to the line at a career rate, which I'm looking at writing about. But, I mean, right now, yeah, 50.8% from the floor, 50% from three on four a game, and 92.3% from the line. Um, he's been really good offensively. He's not a good passer, um, but that's not what they're asking him to do. He kind of plays as a facsimile to TJ Warren almost, as a guy who um, you run him open and get him to his spots, and you can kind of cook from there. And he's been really good at it. So I, I, yeah, ultimately, as good as Thad would be on this team, I think the idea is to have Jeremy be that guy who can long term do that off the bench. Um, maybe not long term. I should say intermediate term. So next like year and a half or two years. Um, but I think in a in a vacuum, Thad would do so much for this team. I mean, if you watch the Pacers for more than one year, you know what Thad Young does for the team. Um, tremendous dude too. Like absolutely love him. Um, really great guy. And I think actually it was really funny too. I, I, I was posting all my Thad Young propaganda on Twitter the other day when I was watching the Bulls play. Um, and his wife was retweeting some of my stuff. So it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I, I, if, if Thad could retire a pacer, that would be absolutely ideal. He was, um, I think he was like really the heart and soul of that old depot team in 1718, um, helped bridge the gap of a pretty rough year. Um, from 16-17 into 17-18. Because even though the Pacers made the playoffs in 16-17, God, that year was not fun to watch. Um, it was just from an observational standpoint, it was it was painful. Um, but yeah, I think that would be my ultimate answer to that. Um, unlikely in, in most regards. Uh, but it is doable monetarily. Um, so on to my next question from uh, at Eric Hess underscore. I mean, at Eric underscore past 21 um it's a multi-parter i always love my multi-part questions uh so number one 
where do you see the probable result and or ceiling of this roster? This is a good question. Um, if of the roster, you mean, all right, I'll, I'll answer it in two parts. So I'll take your multi-parter, make it a, another multi-parter. It's multi-ception. Um, so first part, this year, I think this team is uh, fighting to get out of the first round. I think they're looking at being a competitive first-round team right now, um, which that's probably not exactly what you want to hear, but it's what I'm going to say. Um, like, they're just frankly, they're 15 and 14 right now, largely juiced by a, uh, you know, playing really well to start the year with Victor. They were 8-4 and four before the Old Depot trade. They've really not been as good since then. They've played like a 500 team, um, if not slightly below. And I think part of that has been injuries. Like, obviously, Karras and, and TJ are both out. And it would be – I'd be remiss to not mention that. But at the same time, I think you have to look at the fact that this team is just not – like, the top-end talent is not quite there. Uh, Domas has had a really good year. Um, Malcolm has had a really good year, but he's fallen off a little bit. Um they just aren't quite there. Like when they're fully healthy, I think they'll be good. But right now I think you, you have to account for the fact too, and looking at the rest of the year that when TJ and Karras come back, you're integrating two new guys to a completely new system. Um, I mean, TJ only played four games, so I don't really quite count that um, as getting integrated to a system. I feel like you need like a month of playing basketball to really find yourself on a team. I mean, I guess it's uh, give or take. It just depends on the player, but that's how I would put it personally. Um, so I think you, my ultimate assessment of this year would be uh, if they can make a series six or seven games in the first round, I think that's, that's what they're looking at. Um, I mean, they have the opportunity to get to the second round, but I, I think, again, ultimately, I think it's going to be um, trying to have a competitive first round series, which compared to the last three years of postseason play, that's pretty good considering how the last three years have gone. Uh, since 1718 every year has been three uh four and out so um if you can make it a six or seven game series against a really good team i think that's ideal um but a lot of that will feed into how the team plays the next six games before the all-star break if they can pad their schedule a little bit i mean pad their record a little bit before getting to the all-star break maybe come back healthy slightly after um which is not going to be easy um i'm i'm hopeful uh that they will be fully healthy after, but um, we'll see on that. So, uh, but then to answer the ceiling of the roster in general, um, it's another good question. I, I think the ceiling of the roster in general is the conference finals team. That's how I view it. I think there will be subsequent moves um, that happen over the next couple of years. But like, I think the whole point of Kevin Pritchard making the move for Karis Levert was he saw a chance to, Give this team a, a multi-year window to grow together. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon is the oldest starter at age 28, I believe. Um, TJ Warren's 27, 26 or 27. I don't have a is my I don't have it memorized in my head. To be completely honest, but um, I think the point is you look at this and it's like, okay, there is a real avenue for this team to make it to a conference finals eventually. Like they can grow together, be, become competitive in the playoffs. Like, that's another thing I've, I've talked about that I get frustrated with. Like, you can't just go from being a 40-win to 48-win team or whatever to being a title team. That's not how it works unless you're adding LeBron James. Like, you have to – there are levels to it, and you have to grow through it. Um, like, I mean, you look at the teams that Reggie was on in the late 90s, mid to late 90s. I mean, they had a couple years of not really being successful in the playoffs. Like, they would make first and second round. But then they make the Eastern Conference Finals four out of five years. Um, or it's four out of six. I can't remember in my head right now. And then they make a Finals in 2000. I think this team is not going to be together for a decade because there's not a Reggie Miller-level player on this team. Um, I mean, I guess if you want to say Domas, I'm not there yet. But, I mean, Domas is really good, but Reggie Miller was, you know, obviously fantastic. Um, but I think my point being is if you can have the consistency get this team to continue to play together, I think there's that avenue for them to end up being a conference finals type team. Um, so I'm going to, before I get back to the rest of your question, Eric, I'm going to answer a couple questions in the chat really quick. Uh, so number one from Jack Kennedy, Jack, thank you for asking a question. Um, what is the likelihood that Miles Turner will be traded? I personally think, I don't, I don't know. I think one of the centers will be traded, but I just don't think it's going to happen this year unless there's 
a monumental deal that comes out because uh, they really want to see this roster play together. Um, they want to see them fully healthy in the playoffs, which is where we're going to be able to make a full assessment of how um, how possible it is for Miles and Domas to continue playing together. But then again, crazy things have happened. I didn't. I mean, I didn't think Victor Oladipo was going to be on the roster um, past the trade deadline, but I also didn't think he was going to be traded twelve games into the season. Um, the front office is really tight lipped. They're not going to let slip anything on what's happening. Um, they're very good at that. So. Uh, if a trade's going to happen, I think it would come out of nowhere. But at the same time, too, um, I just don't think a trade's going to happen this year. I think if there's one that will happen for either of the centers, it's going to be during the off season, um, or like around the draft or something like that. But but we'll see on that. It's a good question. I hit it on it a little bit earlier, but um, yeah. And also, I mean, Miles is having. I mean, it does bring up a good, a, a really interesting think piece too. Like Miles is having the best season of his career, both defensively and offensively. Um, so you would say, okay, he's at his peak value, but then you could say the same about Domas too. So, uh, it really just brings into who do you get the most value from? Who do you value the most on your team moving forward? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. I'm not, I'm not really sure what will go on from there, but I do think it's going to be something that, that they're probably shelving for right now. Um, or not shelving, but like, I'm sure they would listen to whatever people are uh, offering, but Ultimately, I think it's something that they uh, they'll revisit after the playoffs. Um, and second question from uh, from Brian Zillum again: If Bubble Warren returns, do you give the the Pacers a better chance in the playoffs? Oh, most definitely. Um, but I don't think Bubble Warren's going to return. Unfortunately, that, not to say TJ is like bad or anything. TJ is fantastic. He's a sub All Star player, um, like borderline All Star guy. Um, but the run he had in the bubble is just so unsustainable. I mean, he was averaging like 28 points per game, uh, had obviously that 53-point game. Um, he's fantastic. But I just think that is so hard to replicate. I think there are things you can take from that and be somewhere between where he was last season and where he was in the bubble. Um, like, I think that's feasible. I do think TJ Warren has like the, the ceiling to be an all-star player. Um, like if he puts together some of the stuff he was doing out of pick and roll, taking off the dribble threes, um, if he can put that together, get to the free throw line more and continue and be healthy, then yeah, I mean, that does a ton for this team. And more importantly, defensively, like, I don't know how much you've seen in the Pacers, Brian, but like they really struggle defending big wings and forwards. So guys like obviously, LeBron, I mean, who doesn't struggle defending Kawhi and LeBron and PG, but, like, the point is they just don't have anybody that size on the roster right now. So you go from Justin Holiday at 6'6 to Miles Turner at 6'11, but he's a center, and you're not going to put him on LeBron because that would be crazy. Um, they really miss having somebody who's, you know, capable of, of defending on the perimeter and staying one-on-one with somebody who is a big wing forward. And that, I mean, we saw that against Brooklyn too. Um, but every, everybody's struggling with that against Brooklyn. Their offense is so ridiculous right now, um, but yeah, exactly. Like that's that's just. Um, I do think if TJ can come back and be that same level of player, or like somewhere onto uh, onto that level, then uh, I mean that's that totally changes my mind of what this team is moving forward. I think if TJ Warren develops into a an All Star level player, um, then yeah, I mean I I I, I that would totally shift what I think they can be. Um, I still think that'd be more of a conference finals team than like a finals team, but that raises their ceiling undoubtedly. Um, so I really like that question and I appreciate you asking. Um, so to finish answering Eric's question, uh, the second part of the question was when healthy has the NBA ever seen this many number two slash number three option guys on a single roster argue that Domas, TJ, LeVert, Froggen will all be very good twos or elite three options. Um, I mean, I'm sure we've seen teams like this before. I mean, you could bring up, like, the – I mean, you could look at the Jazz right now. The Jazz has – and even that's doing a disservice to them. That team's so good. Um, I don't know if I would say, like, that anybody's necessarily a uh, – that they're all just number two or three option guys. Like, Domas, I don't even see as, like, necessarily being a, an option. You know, like, Domas is more of, like – I see him as, like, a floor raiser on the team in terms of how good he is at distributing the ball to everyone else, connecting everyone else. Yeah. So my point with Domas, like you could say he's like a number two or three scoring option, but 
What makes him special is he can elevate a guy like Malcolm Brogdon we saw with Victor Oladipo into being like a top top flight option, not like a you know number one guy on a championship contender, but like Vic has really struggled in Houston. Part of that's injuries. Part of that's just being on a new team. But a lot of it is he doesn't have Domas's screening, and we saw that throughout last year, especially in the bubble. Uh, Victor missing that too. Like Domas gives guys just enough space to get shots off. Like he's great at screening guys open and giving them more of a runway. And I think that is really important for looking at guys who aren't quite that level of initiator where they can craft their own great open looks by themselves. Domas gives you like a, uh, I don't want to say it, it's almost like a handicapping golf. Like that's, that's what he does for guys who are handling the ball. You, you give them just a little bit more space room to make decisions, room to make a pass, room to do anything if you get the kind of screening that Domas gives you. Um, because I think that is really, really important. Um, but I guess my point would be this team would be extremely well-balanced with their starting lineup together. Um, I still have questions defensively, but, uh, I mean, in terms of what they would have offensively, I mean, if they can really um, figure out the ball movement and – not worry a ton about shot distribution. Like I think that could be one of the best offensive units we've seen in, in Indiana. Um, but I'm not entirely sure. I, it's something I'd want to wait until I see it. Last question on that. And just uh, from the mail. Well, yeah, well, I'm, I'll get to your question in a second. Trevon. Um, also good to see you, man. Um, but Okay, so from Eric, when will Lance come home? No, Lance is not coming home. I don't want the Pacers to re-sign Lance Stevenson. Lance Stevenson is not a uh, – I've already talked about my misgivings for Lance Stevenson. I don't really think he helps the team as much as people think he does. Um, nice energy. Um, I, I can't speak on him as a locker room presence. Um, I just don't – I don't understand the fan base's fascination with Lance Stevenson. I've never, I've never really – um, felt similar to that. Um, I, yeah. So no, that's, that's, that's my last on that. And then from Shravan, this is, so this is something I, I think we'll close on, um, and talking about the team and I'll, I'll take other questions too. Um, but this is going to probably take a little bit to talk about, um, thoughts on Domas not making the all-star team. Uh, and then Shravan says, I thought he and Bam were deserving over Vooch. So it's a good question. Um, I have gotten really frustrated with the all-star discourse. Um, I think I just look at everything in terms of the fact that, uh, you know, there are, when I made my all-star selections, I personally didn't have Domas in. Um, I thought that he struggled a little bit down the stretch. Um, he was shooting like 40% from the floor in, uh, in February uh, or like the last five or six games before the coaches voted. That has an impact. I mean, we're, we're looking at a 30-game stretch. Um, playing hot closer to the all-star break is important. Um, and more importantly, I personally, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you can say that Vooch has or hasn't had a better season than either Bam or Domas. Um, like, it's hard because there's so much context that goes into it. Like, a, a lot of people have brought up to me, well, you know, Nikola Vucevic is on a bad team. Well, Nikola Vucevic also has – Four starters out on his team right now. Aaron Gordon's out for a month. Markel Fultz is out for the year. Cole Anthony is out for time right now, and he w- he was a backup who's now starting. Then um, they just signed a, like their second ten day point guard to to start. Um, Dwayne Bacon is starting. Gary Clark has been starting. Like this team is not even close to healthy. Like right now, I think the Orlando Magic would be in the mix for like the four to six seed right now if they're fully healthy. I mean, Jonathan Isaac's out too, so they're literally missing every starter except for Nikola Vucevic. Um, and he's had one of his best seasons of his career. I don't think you can just bring record into things. Like, I get it. The Pacers are the four seed. But also, they're barely 500. Um, I don't like the on-off numbers that get brought up. Like, um, John Hollinger, who I, I respect, incredibly smart man. But just throwing out on-off numbers without any context is kind of horseshit, to be completely honest with you. Um, like, if you in watching the games, Domas plays – a ton of minutes, obviously. He plays almost the most minutes in the NBA. The Pacers are a 500 team. Believe it or not, when you're not playing with the bench units and you're playing with the starting lineup and playing against other starting lineups, so the best players on another team, 
you're not going to be beating up on bench units. So you don't pad your on-off numbers. And it's not really a reflection of him. Like, that's just a reflection of the lineups he's playing in. Um, and you, to, if, if anybody brings up the statement trying to say that the Pacers are better without Domanis Sabonis on the floor, that's a lie. Like, I'm sorry, I get that numbers can maybe indicate that, but you have to dig deeper into it and realize it's not just uh, like, yes, I can look at this number and say, okay, well, this is happening. But again, you have to mention like, okay, well, what is going on? Why do the numbers look that way? And again, a lot of it is just the Pacers are not healthy and they have, they've, they've, they really haven't settled in on a starting lineup until the last week before they were off for a week. Um, so just keep that stuff in mind when looking at on-off numbers. And the same thing with Vooch. He's playing with the worst starting lineup in the NBA right now. So I wonder why his numbers are so bad, especially considering the Magic are not good right now. Like, um, this is a really long off-star I appreciate you bringing this up to me, Siobhan, because I was going to talk about it, um, but I was pushing it off. Um, I think, just to speak more on, on Domas not making it, like, I wish that he had made it. I do think he had a case. But I think you also have to mention, like, we're just talking about Nikola Vucevic, like, Bam out of bio, great year. Best defender out of the three by far. Um, he's also had the issue of having to do a lot with a little um, and not really having, like, I mean, Jimmy Butler has missed a ton of time. Duncan Robinson has been not as good this year. Tyler Hero has been kind of disappointing this year. Um, they just have, like, obviously they've really missed Jay Crowder. Mo Harkless has not been as good as I was hoping he would be. Uh, he's hardly even factored in the roster, to be completely honest. Um, but I think you look at all that, Bam has a case. And then you can bring up, like, Gordon Hayward's been really good. Which I, I don't think I, – I didn't vote him as an all-star. But then you have to bring up, too, who are, who's getting left off if you're bringing these guys in? Like, Zach Levine has had a almost historic offensive season. He's been better defensively. He's been a better passer this year. And if you want to bring in record, which I try not to, because I think I just want the best players in the game, guys who are having the best years, I think record gets a little bit overrated. Um, but Zach Levine has been incredible. He's averaging almost 30 points per game on like 65% true shooting. That's ridiculous. Um, and he's been driving winning. Um, so that's been really good. Um, again, like it's just so much goes into it. It's not just like, yeah, Domas got quote unquote snubbed. If you want to say that, I think more snubbed than almost what, I don't know if you guys saw this, but um, I think it was Shams put out a notable snubs from the all-star reserve list and Domas was left off that. And that was, uh, that was kind of weird, frankly. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that's what I would say on Domas not being an all-star. He definitely had a case, but I also understand why he didn't make it. And I also just kind of wish he wouldn't make such a big deal out of it. Um, I think by, you know, just screaming out, this guy got snubbed, this guy got snubbed, we make it worse than it really is. Um, I really just think that they should expand the rosters to 14 or 15 guys. Uh, I mean, one of my friends brought up a really great point to me yesterday. They had 12-man all-star rosters when there were 18 teams in the league. So why wouldn't we expand it as as, as things have changed, you know? Um, that makes sense to me. Uh, I, I think that that would make a lot of sense in general, just expand the rosters. It's not that hard, but until then, I mean, this is what we have. Uh, so I, I understand why Delmas was left off. Um, and that is the last thing that I will say about all-star today. Um, other than that, I have a couple more minutes. If anybody else wants to ask any other questions, um, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm scheduled to be on here till 11. So, uh, I'll gladly take any more questions you guys have. But then, uh, yeah. So, other than other than questions too, unless no, uh, how's my day? S, S, I appreciate you asking that. My day is going pretty well so far. It's been productive. I got an article written this morning, um, and that's for everyone listening. That's uh, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, bud. Uh, we we uh, correlate on the timeline pretty often. S. Fandiar Barani um, does some great work over at the Score. I really enjoy your video stuff. Um, I appreciate you asking me how my day is. It's been pretty good. How's your day been, man? I. Uh, it's been like it's not raining or snowing in Ohio, so uh, I guess I can't complain. My dog's actually sleeping um, while I'm trying to do a podcast, so it's uh, it's that's pretty dope because my dog is like uh, he's got some major major energy. Um, yeah. Also, another great question. Um, Jeremy Brenner brought up. Uh, also, yeah, any good Paul George history podcast to listen to? I was on the basketball podcast. 
with Jeremy, uh, major thanks for you having me on, man. Um, go listen to that. We talked about uh, Paul George, the 13, 14 Pacers, um, just kind of everything around that, the fallout of it. I uh, really enjoyed that. Um, the second episode is dropping today, I believe. The first one dropped yesterday. Um, yes, Srivan, S and I have like the craziest dogs on NBA Twitter. Um, as we rise in NBA fame, so will our dogs. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I do want to hit a little bit on Golden State before I get out of here because they play Golden State tonight. I'm really interested for this matchup just because, like we mentioned earlier, like I think the Pacers have um, a good opportunity to have worked on some things that actually get some practice in um, because they had not been practicing much. Most teams in the NBA are hardly practicing, which I think is important to bring up. Um, just the way that all the protocols and everything are working out, teams are not getting to practice, which is kind of a, a reason for why we're seeing some uh, some issues defensively, I think. Um, Golden State just lost last night, I believe. No, they won last night. I, uh, I was re- reading things wrong. Um, but they have been – they're 17-15 right now. They have been much better over the last month than they were to start the year. Um, they're better than when the Pacers initially played them. Kelly Oubre – has found the basket again. Um, he's shooting like almost 50, 40, 80 over the last, uh, over like in February, he's been really good. I think almost 20 points a game. Um, Steph is insanely good. Uh, he's an MVP candidate this year. I mean, numbers right now, 30 points per game on 48% from the field, 43% from three on 12 a game and 94% from the line. Like he's so good. I love watching him play. Uh, Draymond has been doing incredible stuff as a passer. Um, his defense has been really good. I'm trying to think. Uh, Clay, obviously, I, okay, so James Wiseman is off injury report currently. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to play tonight. Um, obviously, we'll find out, but that gives them a, a vertical spacer. Like He's not as good of a – the Pacers' problems, but I think that is uh, – a plus if they don't have to play him just because that's another guy who can kind of prevent in the interior. Like, if Domas is able to go up, like, they've been starting Juan Toscano-Anderson and Tremond at the five. They, they played Kevon Looney last night against the Knicks. And actually, Kevon Looney looked good. Um, he's looked a lot better this year after being kind of hobbled last year. Um, but I do think that the Pacers will, again, have a pretty serious advantage with uh, – with Domas on the inside and obviously an opportunity for Miles to do some stuff too, um, it's going to be a very difficult matchup. They didn't have Vic when they played Golden State the first time, um, but also the team's just in a – Golden State's a lot better than that first run around in my opinion. So I'm interested to see how this matchup goes. Um, I, I mentioned this with Tom on the podcast yesterday. I mean, Pacers are closing out. They have six games in nine days. Very nice. Uh so they play Golden State tonight, obviously. They'll play Boston and New York on a back-to-back. Then they have a night off. And they'll play Philadelphia, which obviously number one team in the East right now. Going to be a very tough matchup. They lost to Philly, who did not have Joel Embiid. Um, and then they close out with Cleveland and Denver on a back-to-back. So in looking at the last six games, the Pacers are, uh, what, they are 15-14 and 14 right now, fourth in the East. Toronto has been probably the third best team in the East in February. Um, they're, again, a very different team since they played on the back-to-back against the Pacers. Like, Toronto is markedly better than Indiana right now. Um, I think they're 14-7 and seven over the last 21, something like that. I actually just wrote about OG today. Um, OG's doing incredible stuff. He's starting to develop a post-game, even though the numbers don't reflect it, and be excited because OG Ananobi's a joy to watch. Um I, you know, the Pacers need to be better than three and three, I think, to close out. Or ideally, the Pacers are going to be better than three and three to close out the last six games because they need to have some sort of cushion before Karis LeVert and TJ Warren come back if they want to have any kind of leg up. Because right now, Boston has fallen. Uh, Boston is down to sixth, but they're still only, I mean, they've played two more games than, than Indiana. They're 15 and 16. But Again, these are the teams that are going to be in Indiana's way of getting home court advantage, which I would be kind of surprised if this Indiana team ends up with home court advantage in the playoffs. But the way that the East is shaking out, 
entirely possible. Um, Miami's rising a little bit, but they're still not quite there. Um, Atlanta has just been like my biggest disappointment on the season. Honestly, Charlotte has taken the step that I thought Atlanta was going to take this year. Um, Washington's been better as of late. Like they just won again yesterday, I believe. Uh, no, they did not. I cannot read things correctly. I just remembered that I fell asleep in the third quarter of that game. So that is why I did not know they got completely blown out by the Clippers. Look at me doing things. Uh, I have to rewatch that game today. But point being, the Pacers have a, a lot to look forward to. I really think they'll be better coming out of this break. Um, but they need to they need to swing for the fences in the last six games before the All-Star break, and especially because they don't have any guys that will be in Atlanta for the All-Star break. That's huge. Like, I think, not to say that, they should try and gas their guys out. I, I've had issues with that throughout the year because they've done that. Um, but, I mean, for a team that's gone, uh, shoot, I think four and seven in the last 11 games, if you can have a winning record still after the next six and head into the All-Star break, that's huge. And they need to, need to take advantage of that if they're going to stay on top of, uh, of some of the teams below them, especially with how well Toronto is playing now. Um, but we'll see. I uh, I have a lot to look forward to. I will be doing a post-game podcast tonight. Um, I have words coming out soon uh, on all NBA things. I'll have some stuff on the Pacers as well. Um, I have some really great pods coming up later this week that you guys should be excited about. That will be on the IC feed. Um, but, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who participated on Locker Room. Have a good rest of your day. Uh, I won't say go Pacers. I mean, I guess go Pacers. I don't know. To everyone listening in the chat, you're not all Pacers fans. But uh, I hope you have a good rest of your day. And thank you again for participating. Um, And I'll be back again next week.